Yeah, it's cold, but that's fine because it's the Christmas season, damn it. And that's kind of what today's episode is for. It makes us all pause, makes us think about what we're thankful for after well, after Thanksgiving. We just did that. But, you know, we, you also can – this intro sucks. I'm doing that over again. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome down to another edition of Dive Bar Mitzvah. Hey, it's me, your pal Ian. How you doing? Uh, today we're in a, an exciting bar. I am surrounded by thousands of single dollar bills. And no, I'm not in a strip club. No, no, no. I am in the heart of the warehouse district. I am at Cuzzy's Bar. It's, uh, it's a wonderful place. I'm not here that often, but our guests were insistent. We're doing it at Cuzzy's, damn it. And I, I'm one to go along with that because I like to give people Christmas gifts. And that's the season. It's damn cold outside. It's like negative 20. It's not, but it's, it's still damn cold. I didn't park that far away, but I'm still in pain. I can still feel my fingers. I was not built for these climates. Um, and I moved here like an idiot. But these two guests I have here today, yes, we have two. Uh, yes, because this is a holiday twofer, um, are from here. They've been here their whole damn lives. I don't know why they haven't left. Maybe we will ask them. I'm going to be sharing a bill with them on the 17th at the Eagles Club here in Minneapolis. We're going to be doing the uh, annual uh, Silver Teens Gala Christmas thing. I don't know what it's called, but it'll be great. You should go there. I'll post a link on the Facebook page. Uh, but these guys will be playing it as they do every year, and in, in one of their many bands, uh, the Mighty Mofos, our guests today, Ernie and Billy Batson. Woo! Nice yeah. to be here, Ian. Thank you. No, and, and I, I'm glad to have you here. Um, and, I, and a little inside baseball about today's episode, we are going to do it at the 1029 bar, formerly Laura's 1029 bar, um, but we didn't. Uh, because it was packed. Absolutely, there was no place to sit. It wasn't even a matter that they didn't want us there. It was just at the, no place. Everybody was playing bingo, and everyone was going crazy there. And I was excited about it because it was a Northeast bar, and you guys are Northeast guys, yeah. right? You were, you were from Northeast originally. Yep. <laughs> feel, free to, feel free to talk more about that if you like. Yeah, you know, that's... <laughs> now, which bar is it that became... Is it the Polish Palace? That used to be the first chance, last chance. I think so. Oh, that was—I thought that was uh, the yeah, the Northeast Palace. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I wonder why they changed that name. That's a perfect name. Well, because it was Tubby's for a while too. It was like uh, a weird yeah, Mexican right. bar. Uh -huh. Yeah, because if you're coming in now, see, we're talking about now, this is a classic dive bar that that I wish that I would have been around for. Because if you're heading one way down. Uh, Lowry, it was the first chance bar. Yeah. If you're heading the other way, it was the last chance bar. Yep. And and where did you guys grow up specifically? I mean, because you guys had to be, be around these places your entire life. Did your parents warn you away, say, watch out for these rummies? <laughs> well, there was one place I remember our fathers said don't ever go into. Which was? That was the Panda Lounge. Now it's Domo Gastro. It's been several different things. Yeah, it's said, across from Lush, I think. Yeah. yeah, across the street from Lush. Okay. You know, down on... Oh, yeah, 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 I know where it is. Yeah, Spring yeah. Street, you know, yeah, Vegas Lounge. But uh, our father said that that was a place that uh, the, the police would only go into in pairs or trios <laughs> because the crowd was so tough. <laughs> he also wasn't too happy about our owns. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is now something else. Which yeah. now is Ray J's. I yeah. like Arose. Arose is great because it still had the old school bar with like like a little candy case inside of it, like where you could get certs or breath savers <laughs> or something when you went back to your real job. Your after car. Been, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like real job. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and you brought him up, uh, Larry Batson, your father, Pulitzer nominated writer here in town, and um, for film buffs, acted uh, across from Ed Asner in the original. Uh, wrestler 
That was correct. Yeah, not the one with uh, Mickey Rourke. No. But the original one. Not the fake one, but the no, real one. The real one. one. <laughs> <laughs> and wrestling is tied into uh, you guys' career in a weird way. What, what was it like growing up here and being influenced by the AWA, especially with your dad, knowing Vern Gagne? Well, it was really interesting because we would be, during summer vacation, we'd be at home. We used to, we, our first house we lived, that was on 1315 Lowry, so okay. northeast. A big old ski chalet of a house. And our friends would come over and we'd all wrestle. <laughs> And do all our favorite pro moves. Yeah. And the basement and the ceiling would start falling down. Okay, yeah. And our dad... were an upstairs bedroom and yeah. Yeah, but uh, our dad would come home sometimes and say, you know, boys, you shouldn't be doing that. Stop doing that. <laughs> and one time he came home and tried to bribe us. He had all these autographed pictures of Vern Gagne. Yeah. <laughs> he said, I, I talked to Vern today, and he said you boys should not do this. You can hurt yourself. And we're all looking at our pictures, smiling, going, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, he's gone. Yeah. Come on, call him Don. Get the other guys over here. Yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. let's have a six-man tag team. <laughs> And you guys then went on in the band. You guys, unrelated, but you would have wrestling main events. Or not main events, but band main events. is like the Mighty Mofos or the Hipsters versus. Yeah. Uh-huh. Did you guys ever lose? Uh, I'd like to think not. There I might have been a disqualification here or there. <laughs> We're still in town. <laughs> so well, all comers. Still, yeah. taking, still taking challengers yeah. here. I remember the one against Crudler. Over the turf club. Actually, I think Tony Zaccardi was the one who recommended this question. I bumped into him and Al Grande last night. I went, hey, I need a, I need some questions. Like, ask them if they ever lost a main event. <laughs> it was looking tough, but then the guitar player broke two strings and he finished out the set using my guitar. Now, and when, when Tony told me that same story, and I was like, I think they might have jobbed you. Maybe they maybe they rigged maybe they rigged the strings so they would win by default. I don't know about that. I've heard about a someone. win is a win. Yeah. <laughs> win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. Yep. And what is it that uh, that influenced? I mean, because you see this pop up time and time again uh, with uh, Minneapolis bands um, of a certain era where they're really big wrestling fans. I mean, and you you Bill take on some of the moves. <laughs> I bleed. Yeah, you bleed, exactly. <laughs> and your forehead looks great. You no, wouldn't know you. that it's taken years and years of mic abuse. And, and for any listener who somehow has not heard, uh, who has not seen the uh, the hipsters or the Mighty Mofos, I was told by Steve McClellan that he did not trust anybody who had not seen <laughs> one of those bands. And, and I remember the first time I saw you guys. Yeah, you went full on with the mic right to the forehead. Yep. Get the blood. One question, Bill Batson. Why? <laughs> Punctuation. Okay. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> it looks good. Uh, yeah, yeah. A crimson mask is always a cool thing. Yeah. And it pops the crowd. It's unbelievable. Okay. They just, uh, everything raises up a notch when you do that. Speaking of analogies to pro wrestling. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It pops. <laughs> now, is that a fair Is that a fair advantage when you find yourself in the rock trenches? Like, I mean, because nobody else is going to do that. And, you've, yeah. and, you've, and you guys have, have, have played with some of the best, best bands of the last 30 years here in town, um, and you mop the floor with them through, but do you need the antics like that, Bill? I mean, really? Are you... <laughs> It doesn't come as often anymore. No, it we save it for those special occasions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's going south, Bill. Do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pull us out of the crapper. Yeah. yeah. 
And what did and what did Dad think about the band? He was always supportive. Okay, yeah, because did your dad see you pull that kind of shit? Because that would have freaked me out. No, no. no. <laughs> You're hitting the... I didn't really do that too much, you Okay. Know, but I mean, day. yeah, but I mean, your father already, yeah. you know, I assume, you know, he doting, was, you know, and, I mean, he was... Yeah, he that's was, why I told my mom, too, you know, I said, you know, it's just, mom, it's just punctuation. It's just, you know, I'm just making a point. Yeah. And it's like, that's how you, you know, you finish a sentence and bam. Yep. <laughs> yep. And... Did the parents come out to see you guys? Uh, a little bit. Uh, once in a while. Yeah. Once in a while. More with the uh, first couple of bands. Yeah. King Custom mm-hmm. and then the Hipsters. And let's uh, take let's let's go through this. Because right now you guys are active in three bands. Yeah. Yeah, King Custom and the Cruisers. Yep. Uh, the, the Mighty Mofos and the Hipsters. Yep. When did you guys start uh, King Custom and the Cruisers? Which has which is the residency is still going on at Dusty's? Are you guys are there every <laughs> now and again? Yeah, every now and again. We'll probably be back again in January okay. sometime. If yeah. they don't, if the place hasn't been turned into condos by That's then. That's right. Yeah. Which is quite like, unlikely, but still. Yeah. Well, and, well, hope and, for the best. And I exactly, I, I hope for that as well. So, when did, so tell, uh, take me through the history of King Custom and the Cruisers and what got you guys into music in the first damn place. Uh, well, I would say probably the movie Woodstock. Really? Yeah. So that scene with <laughs> Melanie getting the lighters in the air really got you. That almost got me. But then seeing Sean on Sean on who were I thought one of the better parts besides Hendrix okay. at the uh, Woodstock movie. That's a, that's a rare. That, I don't hear when I hear people talk about Woodstock. Not often do I hear. But I mean, yeah, that's great about Sly and the Family Stone and the Who and all that shit. But whatever. Let's talk. I, I got three words for you. Sean na na. Yeah. That was even the first time I saw it back in 1970. Those were the, uh, the Who, Hendrix. And Shauna stuck yeah. in yeah. there. For a lot of people in town, all of a sudden after that movie came out, King King and the Princes, yep. Cleavats, a whole slew of people yep. came out. With Rockin' Hollywoods. Rockin' Hollywoods. Yeah. Okay, White yeah. Side Walls. White Side yep. Walls. Butch Christian in the Hoods. That movie, seeing Shauna for those two minutes, if it was that much, it might yeah. have been wow. a minute 50. Yeah. <laughs> That got so many people going. See, this is my point to me. I wouldn't think of Shadana as a looming figure uh, in, in, that, as far as influence is concerned. The original band was a real rocking band, yeah. you know, with the TV band. <laughs> but, and uh, what was the difference in, in the Shadana bands? I know we're getting into Shadana more than I thought we were going to. They had a lot of changeover. Yeah, a lot yeah, of changeover, yeah. but, you know, the early guys were all pretty much college students that were in school together, and they were just doing it for the fun of it. But they rocked out on the stuff, yeah. you know. And then, uh, so Bill. I started greasing in 72 when I was 13. Really? Yeah. He was 72. Something like that. And, and, and I met Randy, a bass player. Yeah, Randy Weiss. Bass, Randy Weiss. Uh, he asked me, hey, can you sing? I said, sure I can. Come and join my band. And I joined. So hired for look only. Yep. Yep. You had the hair slicked back, and yep. Randy was like, well, there's the guy right there. Got it. Yeah. And, and uh, we, we rehearsed all summer, like six, six days a week for like six or seven hours. And we just uh, learned 18 songs and did a kegger. Yeah. And then we started doing uh, uh, park board dances. Okay. And then we came on, and uh, the next summer. Actually, I joined in 74. 74. Yeah, you guys started in 72 or so. So it yeah. took two years to invite your brother into the band, Bill? Jeez. Yeah, I had acoustic guitar. Yeah. And hair down to there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so that's that's an example of how our parents support us. I told them I wanted to join the band, took me out, bought me a Telecaster. Really? Yeah. Oh, an actual telly, huh? Yeah. At B Sharp? Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah, probably stolen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Falling off the back of a truck prices. Actually, our the guitar player told the story of having a, buying a Telecaster there, needing some work done, taking it back because it was under warranty. Mm-hmm. Going back about oh two, three, four, five months later and seeing a car on the wall that looked just like his. <laughs> so he went home, he had all the paperwork, went back, took the guitar down, checked the serial numbers, it was his guitar back on the wall with a, with a price tag on it. Yeah. It's, oh, sorry, man, we get so many in. Yeah, but bright orange Telecaster. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the one your parents bought for you years yeah. later. <laughs> so at King Custom and the Cruisers, so this is... 72, you said? 72, 73, well, yeah. yeah. And what was it? I mean, and, and were you fearful being in a band with your brother? I mean, would you, how did you guys, no. did you, were you, did this, I mean, what were you guys like as brothers before a band, if you could remember that far back? Because you guys have always been. Much. We've always argued a lot. Uh-huh. And, and, and not fight. We learned a long time before that, and we couldn't hit each other. Okay. It'd get too messy, yeah. you know. But rock and roll put, brought us together. And, really? And it's a team, yeah. Yeah, it really is what we are today is because rock and roll. Power of rock and roll. Yep. And and a little bit of shot on up. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> and I need the, to call Bowser. A little, give him and a little. the dictators. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no kidding. And what did it take to be a greaser, other than the hair? Uh, a lot of shit. You gotta take a lot of shit. Yeah. You know, how many times are you gonna be called fag, you know? As a greaser? See, I think I, I would See? say greaser looks Tell like a tough it. guy, yeah. Tell me about it, but Really? You know, here, here's these you know, rednecks screaming at me from the cars in 73, 74, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. But it worked for King Custom and the Cruisers? Well, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a fun thing. We did for love, you know. Come yeah, of course. On. You know, it's like we, we were instantly we were aimed at failing, you know. Yeah. We were aimed at... Uh, we're only doing the songs we like to do. We didn't do all the covers that everybody did. We didn't do a lot of Elvis. Yeah, you guys do. I mean, to this day, that is one of the hallmarks here, uh, the the uh, patois of, of, of cover acts you guys have, or cover songs you guys do. It, it's a great diverse range, and it's not the yeah. typical, you know, kind of... Uh, all these other jabronis do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like, why can't people pick good cover songs? Because they're not that smart. Because they're, they're fucking lazy. They're lazy. Yeah, well, they, they go for the cheap kit, you know? Yeah. I want to show these people. I want to raise these people's, uh, you know, IQ a little bit and give them some, you know, knowledge. Yeah, and then hit yourself in the forehead with a mic really yeah. hard. Yeah, <laughs> maybe a little bit of blood. That's when you got them, though. That's when you got them. And speaking of uh, brotherly bond, what is it about you guys? And how many? So you guys have basically been in and out of three bands with each other for you know more than forty years. How many other members have been in all these bands? I mean, how many how many members you guys had come and go? Because you guys oh, have stuck geez. together. Well, I mean, it's it's like something about you guys. I mean, you you keep going, and you like you're. It's like you're using up other musicians. It's like you're you're feasting <laughs> off like their virgin neighbor. blood, and then using. It's like Dorian Gray. You know, you're, they, they age, you stay the same. Why? Thank you. <laughs> We have had a lot of people through the years. Yeah, but how many people have just been in the Mofos? I mean... Oh, one, two, three, four, five, six. How many drummers? How many bass players? We've had Tommy, Ron, Mike Lattin. Some of these people come back. <laughs> Tommy. Yeah, yeah Tommy Tommy's came back. back again. So three drummers, bass players, Caleb, uh, Jim Boquist, and Randy. And second guitarists. 
And then Ed Eckerson and Adam Fessemeyer. And then we got Keith Patterson on the bass, <laughs> so four bass players. So when are there going to be able to be other versions of the Mofos then? There's enough others. There's more people who have been in the band than are in the band presently. There could be another Mofos starting right now. We Everybody. own the name. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you making real money? Yeah, yeah. I've got 18 lawyers under a retainer. <laughs> Actually, didn't a promoter in Pittsburgh talk about someone calling him up one time and saying that they were the hipsters and saying that they, they, they were us? And then they talk, he talked to him a little bit. You guys aren't the hipsters. <laughs> You'll never play my club. <laughs> so and let's just back up a little bit here. So you've got King Custom and the Cruisers. Then what makes the change to the hipsters? Well, there were so many 50s bands in town. Yeah. And they were starting to play itself out a bit. And we thought we'll make a jump to the 60s. And so for a while there, uh, while we were practicing and learning all these new songs and buying shark skin suits. Of course. Um, we were pretty much the only one we knew of, and then another group came along. What was that, Johnny? Uh, Eddie Hurricane. Eddie Hurricane, yeah. And so it was us and them to move into the 60s. Well, a lot of it was love of 60s Minneapolis yeah. sound. You know, okay. the, that the was a underbeats, the Gregor Dini Bonnies, the Dalemen and Adjusters. Trashman. Trashman, of course. Like the K Bank kind of band. Yeah, yeah. There okay. yeah. Those, those bands were in both bands' repertoires. We carry a lot of that material from one from King Custom into the hipsters. But I mean, this isn't that far after those bands. This is like a ten-year spread. Yeah. I mean, did you guys? Did they? Or did they hear about you guys? Did you ever bump into them? Did they ever go, "Hey, you're stealing my shtick"? No. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> well, my action. One time, we were, the King Custom was playing at Dusty's about four years ago. Yeah. And uh, this couple comes in. They're well dressed and everything. And they they catch our. I think we're doing three sets. They catch our second set. And they don't even leave. They stay for our third set. In the night, we go into the crusher. They both go ballistic. <laughs> he jumps up. She kisses him. He comes running over. He's screaming in my ear, that's my song. I'm the lead guitar player in the Novas. Really? <laughs> yes. So ballistic in a good way. Yeah. 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 It was like they couldn't get any higher. Wow. <laughs> so we sat around talking with him afterwards for quite a while. You know? and so we've been doing the crusher. For nigh on 40 years. Yeah, a lot longer than Lots the Novas did. Yeah, that's yeah. your song now. Yeah. Yeah, all three bands. Yeah. Even pickup bands have had to do that one. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's an A. But I mean, I think I think there's a lot of musicians who in town look at you as trusted elders. It has to be interesting to talk to guys who are there in the in the first rung. What did you What have you learned from them? Not to do so many drugs, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it was it was interesting because you know we did a show at the at the First Avenue a few years ago. Maybe a, did you almost call it the Longhorn? That's yeah, adorable. Yeah, That's adorable. It's my, still my favorite club in town. Really? Yeah. Okay. Still my favorite music club in town. But uh, we play with the Litter mm-hmm. at First Avenue, and John Hoggett told us that uh, <laughs> after they got, Litter got done with their sound check, that he was talking with a few of them, Zippy Kaplan or someone in the band said to him, you know, you guys aren't going to make us look bad, are you? <laughs> John just laughed, hey, you guys do your show, we'll do our show. <laughs> now, in uh, Hipsterization, was that recorded at the Longhorn? Yes. Look at that, that's called Segway right there. there and it are. still stands, which is the damnedest thing. I mean, yeah. it's still there. I mean, what's stopping us from just kicking the door in right now? Ripping out whatever gear because it's just like a, it's where NSP or XL hold stuff now. Yep. What yep. the hell? Yeah, I remember back in the mid '90s walking in there one day. Door was open. I was walking, catch a bus to go to work or something. Still had plenty of time. Walked in. 
and there was no one there. Doors were open. All the tables were there. All the chairs were there. And there were Iron Mountain document boxes on everything. It was just being, at least temporarily being they just, used. So they, used, they basically left it as it was, put banker's boxes on yes, everything. Yes, Wow. The bar was there, everything. The stage had boxes on it. It was amazing. It was like a step, an episode of the Twilight yeah. Zone or something, you know? And what was it about the Longhorn that, that, held, that holds up as your favorite bar? Because, I mean, it, 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 it's infamous, but it's obviously before my time. So, I mean, and pictures and much uh-huh. evidence of it are, are kind of scarce. So yeah, whenever yeah. I hear anybody talk about it, I'm interested. Well, the the, the ambiance was great. The crowd was always you know, it was you know, early on in the punk rock scene here. And so it was just, a, you know, same 300 people maybe. So yeah, everyone got in the way. There was a real sense of uh, community. But the room itself I loved because it was... It was not too narrow, but narrow, and it was really long. Yeah. Really long. I read about it being described like CBGB's without smelling like shit. Good point. Good point. Yeah, uh, it was a long room, nice room, nicely laid out, long bar, long one wall. If you didn't like what was going on on stage, you could, didn't have to walk that far, and you could talk in a normal conversational okay. voice, you know. And then they had the old man bar or the businessman bar on the same floor. <laughs> okay. And upstairs they had the uh, the jazz bar. Oh wow! Okay. You know, they, so they had bands up there yeah. too. Usually jazz bands. So even while bands were playing, they could still have carry on business for the the other bars. Yeah. yeah. Wow. They were separated enough, and they had some pretty good sound, I think. Wow. Yeah. But I thought it was a great bar. We remember hipsters played a uh, noontime lunch concert series at ASB Plaza. Okay. Back in 77 or so. Really? Yeah, 77. And uh, maybe 78. But anyway, Mel Jass, local the TV. The world fa- or yeah, the, yeah. the regionally infamous Mel Jass, yeah. He was a compare. So we had to do two sets of all crazy-ass things. And so between one set and the other, uh, we, we're sitting in the businessman bar with Mel Jass, and he's got rings on every finger, and he's just knocking back double scotches and said, you boys are just killing them out there. You're just killing them out there. <laughs> Thanks, Mel. That's amazing. That's great. And Mel Jass, if you're not familiar, was an old pitchman here we had in town forever. He was like, if you're going to see a guy, you know, uh, you know, trying to shill furniture, yeah. probably Mel Jass right there. Or, or, a, or yep. a timeshare or a condo. Anything from Harry Carey knives to, yeah. <laughs> to condos. He could do it all. And, and it's a damn shame we don't have uh, people like that getting jobs anymore because if there were, I'd probably be the guy getting that job. Why does it that job description still exist? I could be sitting around with a bunch of rings telling kids what they're doing right. Yes. Fucked up. I'm a man out of time. Double scotches. That's right. Born too late. Yep. <laughs> So, it did hipsterization there. Um, now, and that ended up being picked up by Bomb. Now, and it's odd because, I mean, I hear you guys talking about, you know, A, your, your greaser past yeah. and, and doing songs from the 60s. How coincidental was it that your aesthetic and what ended up being the punk aesthetic kind of ended up falling in line at the same time? I mean, is this just one big cosmic accident or? His record collection. Really? The Ramones. Okay. Yeah. I had the first two Ramones albums. By the time we we were listening to those things, at least I was listening to them. Bill was listening to them, and that's what turned the hipsters. When the hipsters first started, it was a five-man band, and we tried to be as authentic to the records as we okay. could be. After about a year, year and a half, uh, uh, the, we decided we just had to do more. Like we saw the Ramones play. In fact, the very first time the hipsters played, it's on Pipestone. Yeah. 
And the next night, the Ramones was the second night that the first time they ever came to Twin Cities. Okay. Over at Kelly's Pub. And we had tickets for that second night. Suicide Commandos were opening in a heavy metal trio called Berlin. And so uh, the night before, Commandos had an open whole night, but then the second night, they were the middle band. But watching the Ramones, it was just, holy cow, I love the records, but this is the way I want to do a show. Boom, 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 boom. So what was the difference? Pre-Ramones hipsters, post-Ramones hipsters, just a lot faster? I mean... A lot faster. A lot of... Uh, we, we had a new bass. We got Randy Weiss back on okay. bass. So we got our bass player quit. Our early guitar player quit, too. So I had to take over the guitar. Okay. So it became like the Who, basically. doing Like the Ramones. It became just like the Ramones. Okay. Only doing 60s stuff, which later on they would do lots of 60s songs, yep. too. You know, All through their career they did, but they had... A couple albums I thought that were full of them, you know. Yeah. So they, they were a huge influence. And you guys uh, opened for them. Was that the first show at Sam's, or was that the show, first show at First Avenue, or I, the first big show they put on? Okay. Yeah. You know, before since the Depot. So yeah, yeah. So it was Sam's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's still Sam's, Sam's, and you guys yeah. opening for the remotes. What was it like to share a bill with them if they're such a <laughs> such a? Never meet your heroes. Day of show, Steve McClellan. This is the first show we booked okay. for the National Act. Steve McClellan comes back and says, their road manager said they're not going on until 11. Well, you guys are going on at 9. You guys can't even... <laughs> so he didn't, Steve didn't, didn't want to push the start time at all. No. He, okay. Can you do two sets? And I said, no. No. We're not going to go off stage and come back on. Yeah. They'll kill us. People yeah. will hate us. Yep. So we'll just play as long as we have to. We'll do an hour and a half set. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> we'll do an hour and a half second. <laughs> Bill Batson <and> smash. <laughs> and they loved us for the first hour, and after that, they didn't love us so, so okay, much. So, yeah. That's okay. how we met Who's Canoe. <laughs> How's that? They were throwing b- bottles and stuff at <laughs> they our were, bass player and drummer. They were in front of you, give us the finger. He said, Get off the stage, you fat fucks. <laughs> and I'm going, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, yeah. That's, that's how I met so, Bill, so if, uh, if Steve McClellan had actually, you know, ponied up an extra hundred bucks to get a, another band on there, he no problem at all. Did them for fifty, problem. No problem at all. Uh, but you had to get you had to get shamed and uh, by by Husker Du and two thousand people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody wanted us up there after the first forty-five minutes or an hour. Yeah, the, we got the point. Yeah. But we yeah. didn't. Uh, we didn't stop. <laughs> We are contractually obligated. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Bill, you, the, you're a, a concert professional. You spend you spend a lot of time behind the scenes. Yeah. What's it like playing in a shithole then when you get screwed on stage and you're like up there, you know, just basically twisted in the wind? What can you do at that point? And I'm asking just for my own personal knowledge more than it being an interesting question for the podcast. Uh, what do you do? You just have fun with what you got. Yeah. You know? You don't take no shit from nobody. <laughs> and remind yourself to never go there again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, how many times did we try to play St. Paul? And it was just, it was a club that was open for six months. Yeah. And then would close. And and nobody's there anyway because nobody drove to St. Paul. Of course. And, and usually the, the night we play would be the next to last night they were open. <laughs> <laughs> Check bounces. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, 
the scene was always so ragged back in the day because there weren't places to play. Yeah, what are some of the mis common misperceptions about now? Because, I mean, I think it's gotten really built up into something that it probably never really was. I mean, what, are the, what do you think the common misperceptions of, of many, the Minneapolis scene of the late 70s, early 80s are versus, you know, how it's looked at today? Well, like I say, late 70s into very early 80s, there was a real sense of community because you saw the same two, 300 yeah. people, maybe four. There'd be parties after the Longhorn Clothes. A lot of people uh, would have lofts downtown with actual genuine artist lofts. Yeah. And so they'd go, go, go get in the freight elevator, go up to the fourth floor, and stay there till like five or six in the morning. Spectacular. They, they'd tell you, get out of here because the business people are coming in now. <laughs> You shaved them, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, but see, that sounds great, though. It I was. Mean, it was. Okay, know? so yeah, so I guess when I say, "Geez, people have really made that era into something, you know, this huge, really cool thing," it probably wasn't that. There's was probably gritty and grimy. Ernie yeah. Batson says, "No, it was great. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was fun. fun. It was great. It was spectacular. What's the problem with you?" Yeah. Then the uh, then the scene started fragmenting. It seemed yeah. like as more and more people came up with styles and stuff, and became more important to adhere to a style. When we first started playing, you'd have bands that were totally unlike each other. There was a band that used to play with us uh, called the Tough Bunnies that were just sort of an oddball college kid thing, but they were fun, you know, and they, yeah. you know, they always liked playing with us, we always liked playing with them. You know, they were a Smart Alex, a good local pop rock yep. band, very good local pop rock band. First time we played the Longhorn uh, was with NMB. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, so they were what, Minneapolis's version of Peru or something exactly. like that. You know, so. yeah. And those songs hold up with the NNB, especially. Like, to hear yeah. it, like, you yeah. know, because I wasn't familiar with them for years, and then, like, I just happened to hear, what, Slack? Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, what the fuck is this, and how have I not heard this before? Like, how yeah. is this? That's Mark Freeman. He's the best songwriter in town. Really? Yeah. And where is he now? What's going he's, on? He's over on, like, 36 or 46th in uh, Bryant, I think, or somewhere like that. Yeah. Just, uh, just doing nothing. He, he writes songs. And rehearse with two or three guys for fun. And yeah. Won't come out and play. They'd... And I actually was hosting a trivia night, and I, I and had NNB on a playlist, and I had the same thing like with uh, with what you had with uh, with uh, the the Crusher song. Yeah. Where and, and one of the old bass players was just sitting there going, "This is my band," and I'm like. <laughs> Why don't you get the band back together again and do drinking with Ian? Here's my number. Never heard back yeah. from. Yeah, it was like that was Wayne Hasty probably. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a shame. Yeah. Everything Mark Freeman's done has been great, and he should be out playing. He's not a uh, he's not a performer though. He doesn't like. I think I don't know what the heck's up in his head, you know. But <laughs> what's up with your lid? I've talked to him a couple times about it, but it just get nowhere. Yeah. I was like, come up and play a song with us. Yeah, exactly. Come up and just stand on stage. I don't care. Yeah. People love you. They want to love you. They want to follow you. They want to listen to your music. But yeah. I mean, you have to be kind of an archaeologist right now to even really be familiar, which yeah. is a damn shame. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, and you were talking about things beginning to fragment, and this is about the time where I, the hipsters. Did the hipsters ever really stop and then become the Mighty Muffos, or was it was it always kind of envisioned to be two separate free-roaming units? No, that was, we just faded into it. Faded into it. Okay. 83, 84. Yeah, I had quit the hipsters in 80. 81, right? Okay, 81. 80? You're right. Yeah, 80. The album came out, and I quit the hipsters, and then joined the Whole Lot Loves, and then did some, quit them. In fact, uh, that was the greatest night we ever had from our drummer. Because we told him, 
Ingy, Mark Ingerbitz and the singer and I told them that we were leaving the band after, <laughs> right before we went on stage. And that was the hardest that drummer ever hit us. <laughs> Two more PBRs? You yeah, sure. yeah, fine. Okay. Yeah. And so, the, so this is like the era where you couldn't keep a gig. Yeah. <laughs> bands right and left falling yeah. apart underneath you. Yep. But then uh, 83 or so, late 83, decided to get back together again. Yep. With the hipsters. Yeah. Well, we wouldn't call it the hipsters. We had to come up with something new. Why is that? Because Bill didn't want to use the hipsters. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, actually, if you use a new name, that gives you at least the doors open to doing something sort of different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. By then, they were got, he got used to doing lots of originals. Yeah, guys. And was that kind of the, the whole idea of how this would be different? It would be more original based? Yeah. Sort of, yeah, yeah. And then different out that range way, of but... covers. Yeah. <laughs> well, writing songs is a lot harder than playing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's like hitting a major league pitch, you know? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Look at that. We're drinking like champs today. It's spectacular. <laughs> And um, Mofos have uh, Show Hard, the album. Yeah. Um, and and a bevy of singles. Now, did you? How worried were you guys about having the uh, the recorded product sound like the live act? Because live, you guys, you know, fast and hard. Did you did you think that that was going to port over to a recorded product, or did you guys? Because when I hear that, when I hear the albums. It sounds like, you know, it sounds a little bit slower. It sounds like much like the difference between, you know, how the bands would, you know, even like we were talking about like the 60s yeah. bands. Like you, they, they record it like this, but when you go out and you play them over and over again, they're yeah. hard and fast. Is that kind of, was that part of the idea? It, it wasn't our idea, but the, the guy who recorded us pushed us that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lou Giordano recorded us and said, no, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> sing, uh, you know, you gotta do it slower. You gotta make punch, make it more punchy and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Do you think it worked? I don't I know. like it. Well, you know, I think that uh, if we had had the original mastering done that we that we came out with, if the pressing plant had done the original master version instead of knocking it down, it probably would have worked just fine. Okay. <laughs> I think we should get the whole of the tapes and remaster them. Yeah. Get it back to Lou's original master job because that was a, I thought, a really loud, hard rock album. You know, the songs... Uh, and it got neutered like, when it got pressed. Like, yeah. Sort of, yeah. It got scared. Yeah. Uh, it was just like the needle is just going to get thrown free of the album. Yeah, too much too much in the red, you know. I thought that uh, one one thing Lou wanted to do with our songs was slow them down so that people could let them breathe a bit and let people get into the to the sound of it and the lyrics. Yeah. And I remember a couple of years ago we did the uh, Northeast Folk Festival at Grumpy's and we decided that we had done it three years and decided to just do our own songs. It's just me on electric guitar, Bill. And so we did a bunch of our own songs and of course our national anthem, Final Solution. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it was, and people afterwards come in and say, you know what? I forgot you guys wrote some really good songs. I really like hearing those things again. Yeah. <laughs> because you guys, when you see the mofos, they just kind of get dealt in the middle of the in the middle of the stack. You wouldn't even necessarily know. It could just be a small faces song you weren't familiar with sometimes. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Not to say the song sounds like small faces, but that's a compliment, damn it. So I'm not it backing is. down on it. Taken as such. Yep. In fact, that was one of the things we all thought with the hipsters, especially the second version of the hipsters, pulling out pretty things and things like that. For a while there, if we wanted to, we could have had a whole bunch of originals. Yeah. <laughs> but Lou 
went on to re- uh, record like half the fucking albums in the early 90s. I mean, yeah. he went oh, on yeah. to do really damn well for himself. Yeah. So let's get those original mixes out there. What do we got to do? <laughs> you guys have to have a cassette sitting around. The Dead Boys did That's it. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Mark, Mark Trias has the uh, yeah, he owns the rights cassettes there, right? and... Yeah. Uh, and out vinyl, yeah, no CDs, but yeah, we could remaster it. Yeah, you know what? This is we're gonna set up a fucking Kickstarter right now. That's right. <laughs> Let's get it back out there. And Mark should be at the uh, gig on the 17th with the Silver Teens yep. and Mighty Mofos and a couple of loser bands. Yeah, but uh, he he he'll be selling our uh, whatever he, stock he has, but not the master tapes. I no. hope. <laughs> and I see you guys see a nice cut of that. <laughs> 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 Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, sometimes I make myself laugh. That's all right. Jump back and kiss yourself. <laughs> good God. Uh, now, you guys are obviously known for covering some good songs. Um, do you guys have any Christmas songs in your repertoire? Oh, we did a broadcast on KFAI years ago. Yeah. Like maybe 20. <laughs> oh, at least, yeah. We did Secret Santa Claus. Secret Santa Claus. <laughs> we took, I don't know. It. Took Secret Agent Man by Johnny Rivers oh, okay. and rewrote the lyrics. Oh, so you guys redid it? Though. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, great. <laughs> well, maybe maybe when you come down on the seventeenth to the Eagles Club, maybe Secret Santa Claus maybe. get dusted off. Every guitar solo will be Jingle Bells. <laughs> I'll try to work it in harmonically. <laughs> Oh, see, it's worth the price of admission. I don't even know how much it costs to get into this thing, but uh, I'll be hosting. They'll be playing along with the Magnolias and Dragnet, the, uh-huh. the aforementioned loser bands, I assume you're, you're talking about. That's the Silver Teens. Yeah. <laughs> they keep dragging so many yeah, people on stage. And Ark Welder, and Ark Welder, yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're not a loser band. I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, and Ernie? Yeah. You're the first guest I've ever had on the podcast who's about to retire. Looking forward to it. So, and uh, for those who don't know, Ernie has been a librarian for low these many years. Fifteen. Is that all? That's all, but I'm old enough. <laughs> so what, what made you say you're calling it a day? Uh, just, just the way everything is going and what the heck. I'm, I turned 62. I can take early retirement and I'm going to. Yeah. Enjoy, I'm going to learn how to play guitar now. Yeah. <laughs> After all these years of faking it, <laughs> I'm going to learn how to play it, doggone it. And, Bill, you uh, were, were gracious enough uh, to you recone speakers. Yes. And you were gracious enough to recone some of my cheap speakers. Oh, good. And they're great, though. They're oh, spectacular. Good. They sound oh, great. And, uh, and and I believe at the last year's Christmas show, I saw Bill, and I was like, Speakers, they're really fucking loud. Which I didn't. I should have said they sound good. But I'm like, these things are great. You can. I melted a plug on my amplifier. I played Black Sabbath so loud it began to smoke, which is a sign those are great speakers. Held up, held up great. Listen to them every day. But I mean, that's but that's your real gig. You like for like but yeah. for big for like you know the Target Center or you know an XL. You are the one who does that. Yes. How the hell did you get into that? That's I mean. I worked at Sun Thunder Sound in eighty. You know. In the early 80s, mm-hmm. uh, and doing sound and also shop work, and uh, they had an all electric voice. All their cones were electric voice, mm-hmm. and they were tired of uh, paying somebody else to do it. So they <laughs> talked to electric voice and said, "Hey, can we get certified to be recorders?" Yeah. Then they had a, a, a meeting with all the employees, like a hundred employees, 
And I was the only guy who raised his hand. Like, does anybody want to do this crap? And I said, yeah, I'd be cool. And I got four bad speakers and four recon kits from Electric Voice. And they said, recon them and send them back. And, and that was my uh, training and my graduation. Wow. <laughs> it, wasn't, it, wasn't a long, it wasn't a long schooling. It was just kind of like, yeah, figure it out, kid. There was a, a, one piece of paper, you know, instructions. One yep. piece of paper. And that was it. And now? I do everything. Not everything, but anything I want. Yeah, and that's great. Um, now, and to go back to things you probably didn't want to do, um, you are famous or infamous. You uh, dug the trench that was the 7th uh, the, uh, the, uh, Street Entry Bathroom. I was working at the entry almost four or five years Yeah, and I, I'm surprised we haven't even touched upon this because you were, you know, basically the living ghost haunting the sound booth there for, for low so many years. And if you, ho- you, you work sound for every new band night. I did new band night, and that was the funnest part. That's what kept me going there so long. Really? It was, it was always fun. It was, it was like well, I would imagine it was, it was usually it was always incompetent and sometimes fun. That's what I would I was. Yeah. But, but it, the more I yell at these kids or whatever, you know, uh, the more the parents would tip me. Yeah. <laughs> really. <laughs> Thanks for cheating my kid like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But I mean, and you get your fair amount of weird art in there. I mean, I, I, I think it's a damn shame First Avenue doesn't do New Band Night anymore. Because I, lo- I would come down to two for one for the drinks, but I would stick around to watch New Band Night. I mean, because every week you, it was like four bands, four, new, four bands you'd never seen before in your yep. damn life, and it was great. Yep. It's, un- it's unfortunate they stopped doing that, but they. I mean, yeah. Now they book it up seven days a week. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, it was but it was a nice little thing to go down. It was yeah. really it was as close as white people in Minneapolis have to Showtime at the Apollo. You know, because <laughs> you never knew, you never knew what you're gonna get. Yeah. Sometimes you get your mind blown. Sometimes you just be like, this is the worst thing ever. But most of the time you'd be like, this sounds like what's on the radio right now. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, dare I ask? It's a hacky question, Bill. But I mean. Uh, Dare I ask horror stories from the Seventh Street entry? What sticks out? I mean, because you were there for years. What's possibly the uh, the uh, the worst memory you have there? I could have gone best memory and made it like a real happy-go-lucky yeah, right, story, right, right. but no, I want to hear just the absolute shittiest band story. Because oh. <laughs> I because I mean, you ruled the place so kind of with an iron hand, and I, I I remember when I earlier on when I met you, probably late '90s, I, and somebody was like, "Which one's Bill?" And I'm like, "He's the one smiling like." He's in on the joke, and you probably aren't. Because <laughs> he looks at you like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, is, is he laughing at me? Is he smiling with me or at me? But, yeah, that, yeah. So, give me your, give me a good horror story. But, gosh, there's so many really lousy, lousy. Most of the bands are lousy. I mean, it, it, for the wrong reasons. I mean, the, the good ones are usually bad because they. They were got good enough to to learn how to play their instruments, but they don't know how to write songs. Yeah, yeah. And they they think too much of what they are. You know, the best ones were the guys who really couldn't play at all, and you know, who had you know a, a good song. Presence. Yeah. Jeez. Lousy. Yeah, everything. You know. You know, the worst moment was probably the, the riot at Four Funk Night. You know, that was. Probably, oh, okay, but that was the main room. That yeah, wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I wasn't in there. Okay. Swinging away. You know? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, that's another thing. They don't have new band night anymore. And the riots have really been cut down at First Avenue now. <laughs> you don't hear about a good crowd macing as no. much as you used to. <laughs> Back in my day. No. I mean, we should have had a wet handkerchief with me. have changed. Yeah. Yes. 
And how many? And how much did you learn from years in, of, of watching years and years of bad shows as a frontman? I assume. Oh, yeah. this is great because this is just basically teaching by example. Like not to say you didn't have it early on, but man, you really can see what doesn't work <laughs> after after a month of Tuesdays in the new band night. Yeah. Uh, one thing, advice I can tell anybody right now, as far as what works for me, is the ability to relax. Yeah. To go out there and just, just relax, and that's all you gotta do, you know? You don't have to sing on key. God knows. Yeah. <laughs> Relax and a healthy indifference. You yeah. Know, just kind of like, eh, yeah. We'll yeah get it. Well, I guess we'll get it next time. You know, exactly. that's an important thing to be yeah. able to say. Yeah, I, I do like to say, if, if I can do it, you can do it. So why aren't you doing it? Yeah. yeah. Big show uh, on December 17th. Uh, what does everyone have to look forward to? Yet again, possibly a return of Secret Santa Claus. Secret Santa Claus. <laughs> wow. We're gonna rehearse, so we'll find out then. Did, yeah. Did you guys rehearse? Yeah, I don't think you guys rehearsed. I thought you guys played enough, and it's muscle memory. You guys are trained rock Some and roll soldiers. Some of this, yes, indeed. But we, everyone else likes to rehearse, so we we sucker ourselves into doing it. That's right. <laughs> so stop by December seventeenth at the Eagles Club here in Minneapolis, right in the Seward neighborhood, right by Memory Lanes. Yeah. Uh, cheap drinks and good times. I don't know how much it is. I'm gonna say it's a bargain at ten dollars. If, if you spend ten bucks, you're getting off cheap. That's it's like, right. It's like a punk rock high school reunion. Yep. Yeah. Um, and yet again, we have Dragnet, the Magnolias, Mighty Mofo, Silverteen, and Arc Welder, yep. hosted by me and apparently Steve McClellan. Wow. Apparently, right. which is great. I want Steve to be there. I don't know how I'm gonna be the, the Charlie McCarthy to his Edgar. Bergen. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work. Maybe be because I've tried. I've, I've over the years been in a number of conversations with Steve where I didn't get a word in edgewise. <laughs> Sharing a mic with them, I can only imagine how that's going to go. But you can come on down on the seventeenth to the Eagles and find out with me. And we're playing early. Really? Yeah. We're playing at eight thirty. What the hell? So did you guys give them that whole like retirement? We're getting old shit. And they, they want you out of there. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Okay. Once so, again, they bought it. <laughs> so reason to get there early. early. Really, eight thirty. Yeah. You're, are you guys like opening? Opening? Are you guys like the first band? Second. Second. Okay. That's really harsh. Oh, God. Uh, oh. That's super early. It'll <laughs> make for a long. I didn't night. even know I had to be there that early. <laughs> <laughs> Crap. All right, everybody. That's Dive Bar Mitz this week. Thank you, Madsons, for thank being you, here. Thank you, Ian. And and I want to thank Cuzzies for not kicking us out and keeping the PBR coming. Yeah. Um, thank you all for listening, and uh, thank you for continuing to comment and share on iTunes. Tell everybody you're listening to it, because uh, that's apparently how we get famous doing this shit. And a rousing round of applause for our sponsors, Stand Up Records. We like our comedy like we like our booze, straight up and bitter. Check them out at StandUpRecords.com. They have new albums out all the goddamn time. And check out their Roku channel. It's free. Go to the channel store under comedy. Find the stand-up channel. Good stuff there. And even old episodes of Drink With Ian. I don't believe the Mighty Mofos episode's up there, though. Maybe I'll have to do oh, something about that. Do a little research. Guys, yeah, you guys have been. You, this is, you're, you've returned almost. Yeah, yeah. I had you on the, on the first episode of our second season. I thought to myself, oh, wow. well, what could I do to really kick this off? Mighty Bye, Mofos. There we there go. There you go. And our friends at Pabst Blue Ribbon, always in the picture and always in good taste. At least you're... See, I should be fucking milk. I mean, I'm not getting paid shit for this. I'm getting played like a goddamn show. 
Always in the picture and always in good taste. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Add extra flair to those leisure time activities. Put original Pabst Blue Ribbon in the picture. People of good taste naturally go for its old-time beer flavor, original Pabst, brewed as it was when it won the Blue Ribbon in 1893. So next time, put yourself in the picture. Enjoy original Pabst Blue Ribbon like we are right now. And Sometimes I lie about it and say we're drinking Pabst, and we are. Today, we're all drinking Pabst. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, yet again, thank you for listening. This is another episode of Dive Bar Mitzvah Down. I love each and every one of you. And Batsons, yet again, thank you very much. Do you have any advice to our young listeners? Ah, pick one drug and stick with it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. See you next week, everybody.